0: Amen. You may be seated. When you think about God's love, it is amazing. Amen? Amen. Man, that song blows me away. My college roommate wrote that song, and uh, he's just a big goof, so I never understood how something so beautiful could come from such a big, goofy guy, but that just shows you the power of God, and when we're obedient, to allow it to speak through us, and uh, I hope that those words are the meditations of your heart this morning. Not just the amazing love, but you are my king. That No matter what we face, he is our king of kings and Lord of lords. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Nehemiah, and uh, you can find some of it on the blue sheet there so you can follow along, but I'll encourage you to bring your Bible and uh, read it and follow along with it as we read and discover what God has for us this morning. Uh, This spring, we have been walking through the book of Nehemiah, and uh, it has been an incredible incredible series to me. I don't know how it's spoken to you, but it's been an incredible, timely series for me. Uh, this this series that we're calling uh, Rebuild, Repair, Restore, to look at how we can restore our relationship to God, restore relationships to those around us. And we've been studying the life of Nehemiah, And as Nehemiah has tried to fulfill his task that God gave him, the vision God gave him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed when they were ushered into captivity by the Babylonians. They tore it down. They tore the temple down. uh, Everything destroyed. But it was still God's city. And God's honor was at stake, and God's name was at stake. And so Nehemiah was given a vision to go back to Jerusalem and and to encourage and lead people to rebuild the walls. And we discovered last week at the end of chapter 6, beginning of chapter 7, that the task had been completed. Matter of fact, under Nehemiah's leadership, it was completed record time, 52 days. They rebuilt the destroyed walls of Jerusalem. And, uh, And we discovered last week as they rebuilt the walls... There was still something wrong. They had uh, these beautiful walls. They had the security. The economy was turning around. The people were excited, but they were still missing out on something. You see, they'd taken all of this time to rebuild the physical aspects of Jerusalem. They'd built their walls. They'd built their houses. They'd gotten jobs. They'd rebuilt their farms, but they'd done nothing about the spiritual aspect of their lives. You see, there's a lesson there for us that uh, we can have great buildings, we can have beautiful facilities and great programming for children and youth and adults. And uh, we can plan all kinds of activities within the church, but if there is not a vibrant, exciting life, spiritual life, then it's all in vain. It's the same for you and I. You and I can come to church and we can give and we can even read our Bibles and try to pray. But if there is not a deep abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, all of that stuff is in vain. You see, they realized that though they had the walls and though the city was beginning to get established, something was missing. Something just wasn't right. So last week in chapter 8, we discovered that all of the people of uh, Israel, and we found out in chapter 7 that it was almost 60,000 people gathered before the water gate there uh, in, in the temple walls, the Jerusalem walls, and they asked Ezra, who was the high priest who'd come back before Nehemiah, to break out the book. They said, we want to hear the word of God. They were hungry for the Word of God, because you see, they begin to realize that what was missing in their life was the truth and the power from the Word of God. It's true for our lives. So they stood for six hours as Ezra read the Word of God. But he didn't just read uh, something that, you know, the Psalms or Proverbs, they weren't around yet. He read the book of the law, what God's Word spoke to sin. And as he was reading, the Bible tells us in the first part of chapter 8, they, they began to worship. It said they began to raise their hands. You know, I, most Baptists would probably mark that out of their Bibles, right? But they raised their hands and they were worshiping. And then it said they began to shout, Amen. They were excited to hear the word of God because, you see, when you're hungry and you begin to get real food, there is an excitement there. People say, you know, well, you know, you shouldn't get excited in church and you shouldn't get emotional in church. Listen, when I think about the amazing love that God has sacrificed for me, I can't help but get excited. I don't know about you. I get excited when my football team scores a touchdown. What does it say to God if I get more excited when my football team scores a touchdown than I do understanding what he's done for me? See, we need to understand that there is an excitement there. They were getting excited. But then as Ezra continued to read, it said the word of God began to penetrate their heart and it began to convict them of their sin. And the Bible says in chapter 8 that they began to get on their knees and on their faces before God and weep. Because you see, when you read this book, I told you last week, it's like a mirror. It doesn't show you what you want to see. It shows you who you really are. When you hold this book up against your life, you begin to recognize that you're not where God has called and created you to be. And it's in that moment that you begin to face conviction, face repentance, and they begin to weep. But the beautiful part was we ended last week's study with Nehemiah and the priest going around and reminding the people, listen, as you come to conviction and as you come to repentance, you need to recognize that we serve a God who forgives And the beautiful picture is these people, all of a sudden, their tears began to clear up as they began to recognize that even though they had left God, God had never left them. That 170 years they were in captivity, God had never left them. He'd never forgotten them. He'd never forsaken them. You see what I want to say to you this morning, church, some of you that have wandered from God, some of you are not where you need to be, some of you as believers in Christ have have wandered away through sin or through disobedience. You need to understand that you've got a God that loves and forgives, and He will not leave you, and He's only a prayer away. And the Bible says when the children of Israel heard that, they began to celebrate. They began to get excited. They began to, to worship and, and have a feast. And then at the end of last week, we began to see that there there was still something more that they wanted to experience. You see, for a lot of Christians, that's enough. For a lot of us in this room, it's enough to to be repentant, to be broken over our sin. And some people think that's all there is to Christianity, kind of some fire insurance. We come to church, and God convicts us of our sins, and we accept Jesus as our Savior, and, and we just stay at that place. But there's so much more to reconciliation and to reformation than just establishing a relationship, just starting. See, so many Christians live powerless lives because they never dig in to the truth and the power of God's Word. They just kind of skate across the surface, just kind of barely scratch all the riches that God's Word has for them. And, And so many believers, they live in doubt all the time. I have people come and tell me, you know, I I doubt my salvation. Maybe I need to recommit. Maybe I need to make a decision again. I I did it before, and I've done it again, and and maybe I need to do it again. There's a doubt there. You see, the reason there's doubt is because your relationship is not where it needs to be. I, I remember when I was in middle school or junior high. You know, when you're in junior high and you get a boyfriend or girlfriend, you, you go steady, right? I never understood that go, we're going together. Well, where are you going? I used to ask my daughter that. Where are you going, you know, right? Uh, but when you would go steady, when I was in junior high, it's different than going steady today. You see, today they have cell phones and Skype and all this other kind of stuff. When I was in middle school and you were going steady, you'd be lucky to talk to the person, you know, maybe once or twice a week, right? I mean, we had one phone in the kitchen that had a long cord, okay? And so you could get on the phone and, you know, hey. How are you? And you know, and they're, they're all, I had three brothers and sisters, and my mom and dad sitting in the living room watching TV. You know, they're like, be quiet. And so you would go and stretch that thing as long as it would go and hide in a corner, right? And you'd talk to them. And then my mom would come in, Did that girl call you? Girls shouldn't call boys, you know. And I'm like, Leave me alone, mom, right? See, nowadays, my daughter, she sends 30,000 texts a, a month. I mean, she, hey, how are you? You know, all that kind of stuff. It's different. But see, back then, you, you would talk once or twice a week, and you'd go back to school, and sometimes you wouldn't even talk at all. You wouldn't see them all week, and you'd go back to school, and somebody say, hey, are you still going steady with that girl? I, said, I don't know. <laughs> right? Hadn't talked to her this week. Hadn't seen her today, Right? Because there was no relationship, it brought doubt in. And that's what happens in our Christian life. Because we are not reading the truth of God's word, because we're not digging into this thing and finding out what God has for us, we, we all of a sudden have doubt in our life. We all of a sudden begin to face questions. And you see, what happens is that the children of God here in Nehemiah chapter 8, they didn't just have a hunger for God's word. They had a hunger for God. And there's a difference because, you see, when you have a hunger for God and His presence in your life, it will cause you to dig deeper than what you get on Sunday mornings at 930. It'll cause you to dig deeper into this book, to not be satisfied with just scratching the surface. You see, what what they are looking for is what the Bible here in a moment is going to call insight or deep understanding. You see, what we need to get to a point in our lives as Christians is to the place where we want God's Word to speak into our everyday lives. I heard somebody say one time that a lot of Christians have marked up Bibles, but they've never let the Bible mark up their lives. And that's, that's the truth. And, and so we come to church and we hear these stories and we sing these songs and we say, is that really true? Because I've never seen the power of God like that in my life. I've never seen those things happen. I've never seen the miraculous. I've never experienced that. It's because you're not digging in to the beauty of the word of God. You see, the children of Israel, they said... We did repentance, and we were broken, but we want more, and so I want you to see what they discovered, because I think some of us this morning need to discover it, so we're going to start in verse 13. This is really part two, so if you were here last week, and you can kind of pick up. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go to our website and our podcast page, and we have all of our messages up. They come up on Monday, and you can listen to last week's and kind of give you a little insight, and that was all review, but it helps you get to where we're going today. You see, uh, they were gathering around in the water gate, this 60,000 people, and it says, on the second day of the month, on the heads of all the families, and if you've got a Bible, mark all the families under there, along with the priests and the Levites gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention. Now, now, I'm reading the NIV. It says give attention. If you have the King James, it says to gain understanding. Now, some Bibles say to gain insight, and that's the Hebrew word here that's the key to everything we're going to look at. So underline that attention or insight into what? Into the words of the law. Now, there's some things that jump out here. That I just want to call your attention to some things in that first verse that just, to me, spoke. First of all, it said, all the heads of the family, everybody was represented. See, it wasn't just the group of the spiritual people. It wasn't just the group of the people that had been back in Jerusalem the longest, or the the priest, or, or, or the people that gave the most money. It said every head of the families were there, represented. All of the families were represented. Now, why is that significant? Because if you've been with us, you know that just two chapters ago, less than a month before this time, they were at each other's throats. They were mad at each other. Some of them felt wrong. Some of them were upset because the richer people were taking advantage of the people that didn't have much. And they were charging them interest. And and they were going and, and charging usury and taking advantage of their land and getting land cheap when people couldn't afford their land. And so they almost threatened the building of the wall. These same people that here now come together as one to hear God's word were just... A moment ago, at each other's throats. What happened? You see, they realized that they could be a part of something bigger than themselves. You see, what we have got to realize as a church, and when I say a church, I'm not just talking about First Baptist. I'm talking about the body of Christ. That we can be a part of something much bigger than ourselves. You see, on my own, there is only so much I can do, but when I join together with the body of Christ and uh, across the cities and across the nations and across uh, the world, you and I can make a difference through the Word of God. You see, they were willing to die. To, to their perceived wrongs. They were willing to die to the things that had been affected. They were willing to die to their differences, to die to their hurts and their past dis, misunderstandings. Why? Because those things didn't matter when they came together to sense what God had for them. You see, some of us in the church need to learn to put our past behind us, need to learn to, to put and die those past differences, those past disagreements, because God is wanting to do something much bigger. through the the unity of the body than he can ever do in one. They wanted to hear from God corporately. They wanted to hear what God's vision was and what God's direction was. What a message for the church today. What an example. The second thing that jumped out to me, and it doesn't really say it in here, but we know from reading earlier in chapter 8, is not only were they all represented, but the ones that were there were present. Now, what do I mean by present? I'm not talking about physically standing there. I mean that they were engaged, they were actively seeking. You see, if you want to gain insight, you want to get the deeper truths from the Word of God, then you have got to be more than passive, you've got to be engaged. You see, the word of God doesn't come to us by osmosis. I, I wish it did. I can remember times when I would sleep on this at youth camp thinking maybe it would come, right? You know, and just sneak. It doesn't happen that way. Matter of fact, I used to name, this is not even relevant, but I used to name my bunk the word of God. I'd just call it the word. And that way when people would say, where's Pastor Rusty? i would say, he's in the word. Amen. <laughs> That's a little trick for you guys when your wife and your people are looking for you. He's in the Word. It sounds spiritual, right? Um, You see, if you ever want to get this book into your life, you've got to be present. You've got to be engaged. You see, some of you have Bible reading times in the morning, Bible reading times in the evening, and you don't seem to get anything out of it. It's because you're not present. Oh, sure, you're sitting there reading it, but you're not actively engaged in reading it. You're thinking about what you're going to do later. You're thinking about where you're going to eat. And some of you come this morning, and and we got a room full of people, but not all of you are present. Because some of you are distracted by other things going on in the room. Some of you are thinking about the other things that you've got to do. And you're not actively engaged in wanting to hear the deeper truths from the Word of God. And so some of us walk out, and we miss it see you've got to be present you see they were there they were hungry for God's presence for God's word and they were actively a part of it if you want to gain insight if you want to experience truth you've got to be committed now what was it they were actively engaged in receiving That understanding, that insight. Well, the Hebrew word here, if you were to translate it, uh, it means a lot of things, and it's used to describe a lot of things. It describes how to be wise. It describes a keen awareness. But really, what it means is, it means to to dig below the surface. It means allowing God to speak into our lives. Allowing God to direct us and to lead us. It's a picture of what happens when you actively engage in this word of God. And as you're actively engaging and saying, God, speak to me. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes along and illuminates this and allows it to speak to us. That's what insight is. See, I I love just reading the word of God as a book. There's so much richness there. But it's so much more than just a book. I I, I don't know about you, but I can read the same verse ten times on ten different days, and it says ten different things to me. See, that is what it means to gain insight and understanding. See, the children of Israel here in Nehemiah's day, they, they just didn't want to surface. They said, we want to know what God wants from us. And you see, that's where the water hits the wheel on insight. What it basically is saying is, is I want to know what God is telling me from this book. And I have people come to me all the time and say, how do you understand it? You have to be engaged. You have to be open. And, And let me warn you, it takes time. You can't just do the shuffle and open it up and go, okay, what's this verse say? Yeah, that's what God's telling me. It doesn't work that way. You've got to dig into it and say, God, I'm going to take the time to read this and I'm going to keep reading until you speak to me. Bible says, Abraham wrestled. Jacob wrestled with God. Abraham in his heart said, God, speak to me. Jacob physically wrestled with God. So you've got to wrestle and say, I want to, I want to hear your word. It takes time. It also takes commitment. You've got to be committed to digging in. But but the most important thing, and this is where most of us miss it, it takes willingness. You see, you can't just gain insight by reading. You have to be willing to do what it says you're supposed to do. See, that's where insight comes from. See, this book is not just about knowledge. I know some of the smartest people in the world that have studied this book that can tell you all about this book, that, that know all the theories and all the doctrines, but they miss the truth and the power of this word because it's only about knowledge to them. You see, to you and I that are called Christ followers, it's about obedience. 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 Now, I'm going to come back to obedience in just a second. First, I I want to see a couple of things and see what they discovered, uh, what they understood. Look what it says. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. What were they supposed to do? God was telling them to go back and begin to celebrate You see, what God wants from us is to not just be hearers of the word, like our study in James taught us last year, but to be doers of the word. See, God said, listen, you want some insight? Here's what I'm asking you to do. Be obedient. Discover the truth of the word of God and do what it says. Not just hear it. John warns us about it in 1 John chapter 2. Listen to what he says. We know that we have come to know him, and that's insight if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. But if you obey his word, God's love is made complete in you. You see, what God is looking for is some believers who will receive the implanted word of God and strive to be obedient daily. It's not about perfection, it's about obedience. You see, when you submit to God's authority and you listen to the Word of God, all of a sudden the Word of God becomes alive to you. I've got some friends and I've even got some youth uh, that were in my student ministry over the years that are in in medical field, doctors. And If you were to ask a doctor, who is the worst patient? Uh, besides the one that doesn't pay their bill, they would tell you that the worst patient is the one that comes in, has something wrong with them, goes through the examination, gets the, the diagnosis, is told what to do, and then leaves the doctor's office and never pays attention to what they were supposed to do. Doesn't take their medicine, doesn't change their diet, doesn't stop doing anything that they were supposed to do. They found out what was wrong. They heard how they could fix it, but they didn't do anything about it. And at the peril to their health, they walk away. See, it's the same for Christians. We come and we listen and we read and we hear what God is telling us to do. We say, God, I've got this situation. God, I've got this circumstance in my home, in my family, with my kids, at work, with my future. God, what am I supposed to do? And then all of a sudden God's word comes alive and it speaks into the moment. It speaks into what's going on in our life. But we walk away. See, so usually what we do is we go get a second opinion. We don't trust God's word. We go, out, hey, listen, what do you think I should do? God said, here's what you should do. What do you think I should do? See, God's looking for people to give insight to those that are obedient, acting on what we hear. You see, insight starts when we begin to do what we know is right. You know, my dad, I used to watch my dad fix cars. Uh, back in the '70s, when I was a kid, uh, early '80s, that was when you could work on cars, right? You could open the hood and you look and go, "That's a motor," uh, right? Uh, now you can't even do that with a lawnmower anymore. You can't. You look at it. And I don't even know what this is, right? Uh, but you could work on cars, and I'd go out there as a kid and I'd watch my dad, and he'd say, "I'm going to change the water pump. I'm going to change this fuel filter." Uh, it seems like we were always changing water pumps or fuel filters or alternators or something. But you could always see it right there, and he'd say, "Okay, listen. I'm going to tell you how to do this," and he would would do it and he would show me and he would give me all the instructions but you know what I discovered I really didn't gain insight into how to do that until I began to do it see it's one thing to see it and hear about it and learn about it it's a whole nother thing to do it it's kind of like when you get a recipe some of you get recipes that like to cook and you get to say man that would be wonderful to make and that's so easy and then as you begin to cook and follow the recipe you realize it wasn't that easy after all You gain real insight through what? Through doing. And what God is telling us this morning is if you want to really dig deep, you need to be willing to obey. And it said God was telling them that they need to begin to celebrate this feast on the seventh month, which is when they were, this Feast of Tabernacles. We call it the the Feast of Booths and that they should proclaim God's word and spread it throughout the towns of Jerusalem. It says, go into the hill country, bring back branches of olives and wild olive trees and from myrtles and palms and shade trees to make booths as it is written. Verse 16, so the people went out, they obeyed and brought back branches and built themselves booths. They built them on their roofs, they built them in their courtyards, they built them in the courts to the house of God, in the square by the water gate and one even by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile, every last one of them, built booths and lived in them. And from the days of Joshua, a thousand years before, until that day, the Israelites had never celebrated like this, and their joy was great. Now we discovered back when we were Wednesday nights looking at these festivals, Leviticus tells us about this festival of booths. It was a festival festival used to celebrate what god had done for the children of israel when they were with moses remember they were wandering in the desert and so to celebrate god's faithfulness to celebrate god's provision uh, on this time for seven days the, uh, the seventh month the first seven days they would build these uh little booths little shacks out of sticks and they would live in them for seven days Now, we know from Ezra that they'd been doing this all along. It said in Ezra chapter 2, when they came back 100 years ago, they'd been celebrating. But something was different this time. See, they were all obedient, and they were completely obedient. What was different? Well, scholars tell us that probably what had happened is down through the ages, at this festival of booths, they, they would begin to not want to live in these little Shacks on their roofs, so they would begin to build big tents, luxury tents, and they would go out and sleep in these tents. And they would say, "Listen, we're celebrating the feast of booze, you know, in in spirit, right? If not in action, in spirit." But you see, what they didn't realize is that half obedience is not obedience at all. You see, you and I need to recognize that obedience is always going to cost you something. This is where the water hits the wheel. This is it today. Listen. God's Word is going to speak into your heart. God's going to tell you how to deal with a circumstance, how to deal with a situation, how to heal hurts that you have. But I want to tell you right now, whatever He tells you to do, it's going to cost you something. It means you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. It means you're going to have to be willing to change. It means you're going to have to be not satisfied with the status quo. I mean, think about what God was asking these people to do. They had new walls. They had new houses. They had new everything. And God was saying, go sleep on your roof for seven days in a little uh, place that you build on your own out of sticks. Now, do you think that was comfortable? Listen, I, I don't know about you, but seven days on a roof with my family in a little shack, that's not That's not comfortable. But you see, obedience never is. And half obedience is never obedience. You see, that's the way we live. We wonder why we're not seeing the power of God. Because you, Did you hear what happens? Did you hear what it said happened when they were beginning to get obedient? It said it proclaimed truth throughout the land. Because when you begin to get obedient, people, their attention is drawn to you. What's going on? Can you imagine all those people that were disagreeing with the the children of Israel? They come into Jerusalem, and there's these little shacks all on the roofs and all in the courtyards and all by the gates, and these people are living in them. See, your greatest testimony to a lost world is obedience to God's word. I've given you the definition of obedience before, probably ad nauseum for some of you, but I want to give it to you again. Obedience is doing what you're told when you're told with the right heart attitude. Now, some of you parents, grandparents may want to write that down. What you're told, God tells you to do what you do, what it is. When you're told, with a right heart attitude. I tell my son to take out the trash. Take out the trash. If he says, I'll take out some of the trash, that's not taking out the trash. If he says, I'll take it out later, that's not obedient. If he grabs a trash can and kicks it and yells and kicks the dog when he's going outside, that's not obedience. The job got done, but he wasn't obedient because you've got to have the right heart attitude. You see, what we need to recognize is to discover God's insight into our lives means to, to totally be obedient to what he says to do. You say it doesn't make sense, it won't make sense. I don't understand it. You're not supposed to understand it, you're supposed to obey. God says, go ask that person to forgive you. Go tell that person you love them. say, God, that's going to make it uncomfortable. He says, it's not about comfort. It's about obedience. Because if you want God's power, if you want the blessings of insight into the word of God, you have to be willing to obey what he tells you to do. The children of Israel began to build these booths. And for the first time in a thousand years, it said, since Joshua, there was an overwhelming joy that took them over. Because, see, here's the key, and I'm done. Listen. The byproduct of obedience and insight into the Word of God is always joy. I'm not talking about some one-time emotional smile and and pretending like everything's good. I'm talking about a deep, heartfelt joy that can only come from being content in what God told you to do. Because, see, here's, here's the difference if I do what God tells me to do, it doesn't matter what anybody says. doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about me. You see, because this joy is not based on circumstance. It's not based on what everybody else thinks. None of that matters because I'm content in knowing I'm being obedient to God. And when I'm obedient to God, there is an overflowing joy that you can't hide. But just the opposite is true as well. You discover God's truth and God's word and he tells you to do something and you're not obedient. Instead of joy, you get disappointment and you get bitterness and you get anger. See, the children of God said the moment they heard the truth, they jumped at it and obeyed. Church, listen to me. Christian, listen to me. There is insight here to whatever circumstances you're facing today. Today, whatever mountain you're dealing with, whatever hurdle you haven't been able to overcome, whatever pressing event that is causing you distress, there are answers here today. You've got to be willing to dig. You've got to be present. You've got to be obedient to what he says to do. Children of God were willing to say yes. The question for us this morning is are you? question for us this morning yes or walk away let's pray Father I thank you for the truth of your word God there's so much more in this book than so many of us are are discovering there's guidance, there's leadership there's hope, there's joy, there's peace there's truth, there's contentment But God, you tell us that you're not going to force it upon us. We have to choose. Father, this morning I pray for those in this room that that would open their hearts to your Holy Spirit. God, so many in this room, they know what they're supposed to do right now. Even as I was speaking, you put something on their heart to be obedient about. Father, I pray they they can't walk away. That they would say yes. Father, there is a hurt confused and dying world that needs joy and sadly they're not finding it in the church they're not seeing it in us because we're not listening we're not present we're not obedient god break our hearts and let that change today the great thing about joy is it's contagious Father, it said their joy was such that it hadn't experienced it in a thousand years. Father, I believe for many churches, they've been joyless for years. But that can change if just one is willing to say, Yes, show me God. Show me. Father, teach us this morning and let us obey. In your name, amen. We're going to close with a song, Worship. I believe God's calling you to obedience this morning. I believe for some of you, you come to church when you come and you say it, there's a disconnect. I don't get all that. Those songs don't mean the same thing apparently. It's because you're not digging in. You're not present. You're not committed to what He has for you. This morning, make a commitment to be different. Make a commitment to listen with the Holy Spirit's ears. And as you listen, obey but for most of us this morning I give you homework there's one thing one step of obedience that you've walked away from that's hindering your relationships, it's hindering your relationship to God, tendering your relationship to the people around you, maybe family maybe workers, there's something you're supposed to do and it may be a test, big test, little test but God's put it on your heart, do this See, and that, that's not comfortable I mean, I don't think it's joyful to live on a roof, right? I wouldn't consider that to be joy. But when you're obedient to God, joy comes in obedience. God's going to ask you to be obedient, will you? Just stand and worship with us.